0: Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast. With me today is Graham Jones, internet psychologist, speaker and author of the upcoming book, Clickology. Welcome to the podcast, Graham. Hello Ian, thanks very much for inviting me. Hey Graham. I'm going to get straight down to business. I'm really interested in talking to you today about some of the recent trends in how buyers go about buying services, you know obviously things like speakers, consultants, coaches and lawyers and I know this is an area that you keep a close eye on in your role in advising people on internet strategies and of course for yourself as someone who gets you know bought by buyers. Um, What are your observations on how the buying process has changed? as a result of of more information being available online, being much easier to do research on potential suppliers, those sort of things.
1: I think there's some interesting things that uh, show how people's buying behaviours changed. One thing, for instance, is that uh, several years ago, sort of four or five years ago, if you were buying a car, uh, you would go to eight dealers on average. Now we go to... 1.2 1.2 dealers wow. on average. So what we're doing is we're making our decision to buy online rather than, you know, visiting loads of different car dealers. And the same is happening in services. Instead of people, you know, ringing around various law firms or ringing around various uh, financial advisors or whatever it is they want, they're researching that online. And then they've made their decision who they're going to buy from at that already so they don't need to have conversation with you they've already decided who they're going to buy from so what they want to do then is buy
0: so it's just confirmation really
1: so the the point two in the case of the car dealerships is
0: one in five you go to the dealership to buy and it turns out not to be right so you try another one
1: yeah usually what happens you know if you've decided to buy a Ford uh, you go to a Ford dealer and if you get really bad service from that the the dealership you've walked into you know they ignore you don't give you a coffee um, try and sell you something you're not interested in you usually walk out and go to the Ford dealer in the next town because you've decided you're going to buy that car it's just the dealership you don't like Um, so similarly online you know if you're choosing an accountant you're choosing a lawyer whatever it is people have made their decision online they will then go to try and buy that service if they don't get good customer service from that company from that individual um, then they might try second on their list kind of thing
0: but that 's a that 's a really a really big change from how we 're used to doing business because I think the underlying assumption if you think about the online presence of most service businesses is that you will be speaking to them so the 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 online presence you know usually of course it has a home page it tells you about them, it tells you what their services are it has a bunch of testimonials, but it um, doesn 't include a lot of details about what you 'll get. Usually it's, hey, we'll we'll tailor make this just for you and it doesn't include the price. So those are two key components that you can't make a buying decision without that usually aren't available on most service businesses' websites on the assumption that the next step is you'll take a brief overview and then you'll phone round half a dozen firms and, and get to know them a bit better.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love the world of assumptions, Yeah, uh, because I go into businesses and they make assumptions about what their website does and what people do with their website, and then when we start chipping away at their assumptions, we discover that largely their assumptions are not based on any evidence, not based on any research, it's based on kind of sticking a finger in the air and hoping, um, and there's that great book called Hope is Not a Strategy, Um that uh, making these assumptions about what people do on the Internet is actually leading businesses down the garden path and taking them into the wrong uh, wrong uh, areas at all. For instance, about 90 95% of all activity on the Internet goes to just a handful of businesses. Mm. So, you know, the Googles, the Amazons, the Ebays, the uh, Facebooks of the world dominate the Internet. And it means that, you know, the rest of us are scrabbling around for the mere morsels that are left over. Uh, And the reason for that is that all of those other businesses make it absolutely clear what you're going to be getting. You know, If you want to advertise on Google, you know what you're going to get, you know how much you're going to pay, you know what you're going to do with it kind of thing, whereas uh, other businesses are kind of, well, let's put a brochure on site, Mm. uh, uh, put a brochure up on the web, and uh, then people will come and uh, talk to us. But if we go back, I don't know, 20 years, uh, when we had printed brochures, uh, there were loads of businesses who produced plenty of printed brochures and they just clogged up their cupboards hmm. because they didn't really have any impact on their business. But, and when I, when I asked in those days, you know, why have you got a printed brochure? The answer was, well, you have to have one, don't you? Because everyone has one. And I say, well, I didn't realize there was a law that said you had to have a brochure. And I find I'm asking the same question nowadays. When you say to, you know, accountants or law firms, why have you got a brochure website? Why have you got a website? They say, well, you have to have one, don't you? And I go, blimey, I missed that law. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that one had been passed, kind of thing. And uh, th- th- people make an assumption that what you need is this. What they don't do is look at the behavior of people on the uh, online and work out how to deliver something to match that behavior. And the behavior is people are trying to find information in an easy, convenient way that they can then make a buying decision on and then what they want to do is go and buy. Mm. So they don't want just a teaser to then give give them a give
0: people a call. Let's get to get you know they're they're, they're ready to buy. I guess they they used to they've been conditioned by Amazon by by all the other kind of online services they're using. That what they do is they go and look for what they want. They find it. They make their mind up based on available information online, and then they press a button to buy.
1: Yeah, I mean this is our our. Um, normal mode of doing things now. So you're right, we have in a sense been conditioned. Um, I wrote an article recently about how bookshops are losing sales to online bookstores not because the online bookstores are providing convenience but because of our our attitude to things. So for instance, if I want to buy something on something like Amazon, if I need to find a book, I can find it within seconds. Mm. So I can Go into the search box, type in you know the, the title or an approximation of the title, and it will give me that book in a second or two. Now, if I go into my local bookshop, um, A, I've got to find the right corner of the bookshop it might be in. B, I've got to work out how they stock things. So you go into the business book section of uh, one local bookshop uh, near here, and the, the entire business section is ordered alphabetically by the name of the author. So, you know, you've got a book on leadership next to a book on accounting next to a <laughs> book on something, you know, and it's all over the place. So they are requiring you to know the name of the author, which means it takes ages to find what you're looking for. Another bookshop uh, a bit further away has got one section on small business, which is nowhere near the section on marketing. You know, that's in a different part of the bookshop. So, you are now it's a struggle to find things. There's no reason at all why they can't provide instant search in a bookshop, in a real world bookshop. The technology for doing that has been available in warehouses for about the last 20 years. So all they need to do is use the technology that's in warehouses to have little pads where you can say, I want this, where is it on the shelf? And it will tell you exactly where it is. That technology is around for 20 years. We've got book retailers not using that technology. Our uh, view of the world is we can find things instantly. It 's not that bookstores are not providing the range they 're not providing the convenience they 're not matching our behavior and our behavior is instant search so if even if you are a an accountant, a lawyer, a financial advisor, a speaker, a consultant, people are used to being able to instantly buy th- something from you that 's their
0: default mode now mm. it really is about a, about a change in mindset and, and also I guess a lack of tolerance. For people who don't want to sell to you in the way that you want to buy, because we can get so much in the way we want these days.
1: Absolutely. So you've got to match not only this desire to buy instantly, but you've got to match that in the way that individual wants to buy instantly. So it's a real problem for people. So, for instance, um, there are some people who think visually. They, they think in pictures so they, what they want to see is you know lots of images of associated with what they're going to buy whereas there are other people who think sequentially they want to know you know what's the first step what's the second step what's the third step so you've got to offer both those buying methods in order for people to buy from you as a you know a consultant so you know if you're a consultant and you've got people who are going to buy things on a visual basis, they need to see you in action as a consultant. There are other people who don't need to see the pictures. They want to know the details of what you're going to do. They're detail thinkers. So they need lots of text. They need maybe a PDF that they can download that can prove that you're going to deliver what you're going to deliver uh, for them. And then they can use a link on that PDF to buy straight away. So different people think in different ways, which means that we've got to provide different kind of web experiences for those different kinds of people.
0: And, and essentially you're, you're having to provide almost everything up front. You're getting people to the point of decision online and then offline is the confirmation, the phone call, the the, the meet to confirm rather than the, the shopping around as it were.
1: Yeah, that the, the, they're doing the shopping around online mm. and once they once they've made the decision that you are the consultant, lawyer, accountant whatever it is that they want to buy a service from They've already made that decision, so they're now, you know, 99% certain to going to buy from you. So what you've got to do is provide everything in your power to enable them to make that purchasing decision to get to that point. Yeah. yeah.
0: But what, what about people who kind of say, well, if putting all that information out there, and you know, and and I guess that would include price as well in many cases. That that somehow turns you into a commodity, you know, it's much, it's much better to, to get them on the phone so you can show them what you are like and convince them of your value because you can't, can't possibly describe the complex services that I deliver um, just in text on a website.
1: Uh, You can't – some services you can't. It is really complicated and difficult to do. But there are plenty of services being provided at very high cost with a buy now button. So it's not not commoditizing things. It's making it easier to buy what they want to buy. So, for instance, if you are providing some complicated consultancy service, even if you can't describe every last nitty-gritty detail of that service because it requires – a conversation with the person that you're selling that service to, you can provide a button that allows them to buy it with some advice as to the likely costs that are going to be involved so they know what they're in for. Uh, whereas you don't have to give, you know, this is £12.99, you know, 60% off kind of things that you might see on, on you know, um, B2C commerce stores. Um, we don't need to be in that territory um, but we do need to give people a clear indication of the price they're going to be likely to be charged so whether you do that as a range whether you do that as a um, a series of options that you provide people so you might provide different levels of service for different prices um, whether you charge a daily rate you know all kinds of things that people need to know in advance to help them go from that ninety nine percent to that one hundred percent decision made
0: yes it, co- it comes back down to what you what you said before that if they're going to make the decision online first and then just ratify so you need to give them what they need to make yep. a decision that might but, not be the exact final price because yep. as long as they know it's it's within their budget for example then they can they've made their mind up they want to go with you um, and right. they can sort out the details later yes. um, based on that in- initial estimate. And and to be f- to be you know to be frank, that's how we've often always done business. I'm just remembering when we got the extension built to our house. You know, the deal was shaken on an estimated price um, from the architect and builder, who would then go off as the first stage to to finalise that as long as it was within the estimate. But we were you know we'd shake we'd shaken out. We'd made the decision without knowing the exact you know um, pound shillings and pence price um but we knew the ballpark we were, and we were comfortable with where that was and and that's what you can do you can do online i'm assuming
1: yeah and it, i but, but people running service-based businesses have done this for years anyway, because they've mm. said, you know, um, you know, if you take a speaker, for instance, uh, somebody offering a workshop, a training workshop, uh, you know, they've said, you know, here's the price of the workshop that I charge. It's you know, fifteen hundred pounds, two thousand pounds, whatever it is, and then I charge these expenses. I charge you know my hotel overnight and my mileage at fifty pence a mile or whatever it is, and so the person has no idea what the final bill is going to be because they don't know the price of the hotel, they don't know what you're going to have for dinner, they don't know how many miles it's going to be. But they do know what you are going to charge. So it's, you know, the £1,500 plus, you know, another three £400 of expenses. They don't know the final bill, but they do have a clear guide as to what they're going to be likely to be in for. So they, and, uh, they know that, enough to make a decision. That's it. Yeah, that's what you need to have on your website, enough to make a decision for people.
0: So, if um, what would your advice be then for for a professional, uh, as we say, a speaker, a consultant, a coach, a lawyer, etc., who delivers what they believe to be a, you know high value service, different to their competitors in some way, um, and they'll typically tailor what they do. What do they need to do in terms of their online presence in order to be able to kind of thrive in that in this new environment where customers want to make the decision
1: online? If they want to be selling at high value then the Internet needs to reflect that high value. Uh, So, for instance, um, the design of the website needs to reflect really high-value kind of um, uh, design. So, as an example of that, uh, Amazon itself has a relatively untidy design. It Hmm. is not going to win design awards uh, for its aesthetics. But actually, the untidy design is deliberate because what it makes us think of is, oh, it must be cheap. So it's a bit like going into a high street shop, but if you go into a high street shop, say, uh, like one of the cheaper clothing shops, they don't mind if the clothes are out of size order. They don't mind if there are clothes dropped on the floor because it makes you think the clothing in that store is cheap. Mm. You can walk down the road. And you can find another clothing store where they're forever making sure that everything is in the right order, nothing's dropped on the floor, it looks nice, the kind of aesthetics of the, the environment is nice because that makes you think you're buying something really quite expensive and you value that. And if they have got expensive clothes, they we expect the environment to match what we think. But of course, you can if you actually do look at pricing, you can discover, for instance, in your local pound shop some stuff for a pound that you think is really good value and low price because it's only a pound and the pound shop is relatively untidy whereas you can buy the same item for 79 pence in your <laughs> local Sainsbury's which is um you know designed to look a bit nicer than a pound shop yeah. and so consequently we believe that the pound shop is cheaper because of the environment so if your website is not very well designed, is a bit tatty, a bit rough around the edges, then people will not put you into that high-value category. So your website has got to be high-value design if you're doing high-value, you know, you want high-value thinking. But the other thing is that other people need to be talking about your high-value. So that needs to be reflected in what people say about you on LinkedIn, what people are saying about you on Twitter. What your Facebook presence looks like, or any other social media presence. Mm. Well, you know, in other words, it's not about your website; it's about your web footprint. Yes. So, does your web footprint reflect that high value? All of it has got to, if you then want to get people to expect a high price.
0: And uh, and is there anything in particular? So, so you've you talked there about the thinking about the full footprint, and if it's because someone, if they they're going to be checking once once they've kind of found you, decided that they, you may be the right person to go to, to go with, they'll then extend their search to looking to see what right. everyone is saying about you everywhere else. Yeah. So you need to make sure that uh you know, it's especially LinkedIn which has its recommendations, etc., where you can get them up. But also you don't want people saying but you know, essentially bad mouthing you on Twitter or, or whatever. No. You need the right sort of conversations going on. Or of course if they look at your Twitter presence, it's got to reflect the same sort of image that you want to come across as um on your on your website and elsewhere you know if you're constantly talking about doing deals and discounts on, on twitter <laughs> hey i can offer you that for half price give me a call then people are going to immediately think all oh, right so if i <laughs> a i can i can i can push him into giving me a discount but b this is not the kind of high-end supplier i'm looking for
1: quite there's got to be consistency across yeah. all the different media really um and one of the problems with twitter is that people uh will often use their Twitter account to you know, talk about the rugby, talk about the TV programme they're watching and so on. One of the difficulties we have online now is separating our personal life from our business life. In fact, we can't. And yeah. even though there are people who say, I only use LinkedIn for personal and I use Facebook for private, uh, even if I know your name, uh, I can find out things about you that you think are, uh, you're keeping private and separate from your your business. So even though you you, you as the individual lawyer or accountant or whatever it is might be trying to separate your kind of different social lives online, they're all searchable on Google, so we can find, mm. you know, those different parts of life. So there is no point in separating them. Yeah. That means that your life has got to reflect your value and vice versa. So you can't be a high price lawyer, um, you know, charging, you know, I, I'm a really top lawyer and I charge all this... And then you have, you know, a Twitter account, which is all about your last trip to the 99P store.
0: Mm. There's got to be congruence across. Yep. And you've got, to, I guess that that means you need to, th- you essentially can't have a fake positioning in the marketplace anymore. No. That's out of, out of whack with
1: what you're really like. Yeah, authenticity, congruence—all these kind of words really, really important because people can now find any gaps, any chinks that it, they're just easily found, and they're never going to tell you this. They're just going to do a quick search. They, they've, you know, narrowed down to two or three, you know, consultants they might wish to use, um, and they do a quick search. Are they on LinkedIn? Are you know? Are they on Twitter? What are people saying about them? Uh, oh dear, this one who I thought was good. Look at what he says and the way he swears on Twitter, don't want to work with him. They're never going to tell you that. They've made that decision already.
0: Mm. And it, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to be all the same and uh, never say anything out of line on Twitter, etc. It just no. means you have to understand that, that that then becomes part of your image. So you you may end up being the person who appeals to the, the sweary, drunken ru- rugby crowd or whatever it might be. But right, you, you see. you've just got to understand how all the different elements fit together into one yeah. coherent whole.
1: One of the things that uh, I have as part of you know what I talk about is I will often tweet about Coronation Street. I love Coronation Street and I don't mind admitting it. I've watched it since it was black and white on television and even my 13-year-old son loves Coronation Street. No idea where he'd pick that up from, <laughs> but yeah, I watch Coronation Street. It's a bit of escapism. It doesn't affect anybody else, but it's just something that I enjoy watching. So occasionally I'll tweet about it and I'll follow the actor's... Uh, who are on Twitter, I don't mind telling people that. That's part of me. Um, and, you know, there are all parts of other people. You know, Some people love golf. That's fantastic. You know, I love watching rugby. My son's a, a rugby player. That, that's, you know, other people hate rugby. But that's part of me. So when you book me, you get me. Mm. And when I might, you, so when you know that I like Coronation Street, I tell my students, uh, I, I work at two universities, and I tell my students, you can phone me any time up to 9 o'clock in the evening, but never phone me while Coronation Street is on. <laughs> and they all think that's quite funny um, and odd, <laughs> but they get a, a sense of who I am as a person, and that's what your um, buyers are also trying to find out. If they're going to work with you as a consultant, or a lawyer, whatever, They want to know about you as the person because they're going to have a relationship with you as an individual. Mm. So they need to know what kind of person you are, which is really one of the fantastic things about the Internet because it does allow you to show your personality to the world and then allows those people who might be buying you as an individual to know who you are as a person. One of the problems that many consultants and professional service people have, is that they have to spend several months building up a relationship while that facade of that I'm a professional is kind of chipped away out before people really know that you've got two children, uh, you live in a house with you know a, a large conservatory, and you've got a caravan on the south coast or whatever it is. That, you know, they gradually know those bits of things. It's much easier to get that purchasing decision made if they know that in advance.
0: Yeah, and and so so in a way the 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 blurring of the personal and uh, and professional boundary, while on the one hand it kind of has it has a big risk for people who who have two very separate sides to them, to those who are kind of more congruent in who they are, it's a big advantage as well because it gets the relationship building to happen faster. People find small hooks and connections with you, um, and and feel as if they know you a lot quicker than if they, as you say, gradually over time, if that kind of stuff eventually kind of ekes out.
1: Yeah. One of the things that is happening with the Internet is, is that is, is really helping us, but it's this instant I want to know everything kind of feeling that the Internet gives us. So, for example, one of my neighbours is getting married um, and we were in the house with them, I don't know, a month ago, looking, um, they were talking about, you know, did we know any good local wedding venues? Now, um, we know some local wedding venues. We've been to some weddings locally. The, the people who are getting married have only moved here recently, so they don't know any. Um, so we told them, and they we're sitting there, you know, got the iPad out, and uh, we're looking at some wedding venues. And I said, there's this one up the road. This is fantastic. We went on to the wedding venue, and the picture that comes up on their web page is shows the front of the wedding venue, but the couple who are in the picture getting married are probably in their 40s, maybe a second wedding. Now, the woman who's getting married is in her late 20s, mm. so only a second, because the wedding venue was portraying that it wasn't the kind of wedding venue for her. The same happens with professional services. So when we know that you know, we want a lawyer, this lawyer might be really experienced in you know, commercial law but it might not be the kind of person we want to deal with and frequently um I remember years ago a big exhibition being held at a pharmaceutical company. They held this exhibition in order to try and find public relations companies for all their different brands and products so they did a kind of massive internal beauty parade mm. of all the different PR companies. And the reason they did that was because what they discovered was every year they would have a PR company for you know whatever p- product they were trying to to promote, they'd get this PR company and a year later they'd change PR company and there was this constant change. You know one year this company, one year that company, and the when they investigated why was the change happening, the change was happening because by the end of the year the people working with them, the product managers and so on, had realized they didn't actually get on with the people who <laughs> ran that company. And so it was a personality thing. And even though the, the PR company had got, you know, wonderful credits and told, you know, got absolutely wonderful work that they'd done, they didn't get on with the people running that product in yeah. the in the company. So the high idea of this exhibition was to spend all day getting to know the people rather than worrying about the company and its reputation. It was the people you were going to have to work with. And it's the same with all kinds of professional services. Ultimately, it comes down to a personal relationship. So people knowing about you in advance is a really good thing in order to make sure they make that final purchasing decision.
0: That's right. It's some, sometimes I think when we when we realize that the, the purchasing decisions and who you hire is based... And who you stick with is based both on your credibility, but also on the relationship you have. I think a lot of people think, well, that's irrational, that's not right, etc. That's just emotions getting in, in in the way. But actually, it's completely rational, because the the main reason why why projects or pieces of work fail isn't to do with the the technical competence of the professionals it's usually to do with the fact they just didn't get on with the clients
1: yeah the, the occupational psychologists who research things like you know how do you interview people for a job and how do you do psychometric testing and all of that when the, when you've done all the pre-testing of people who might have sent in their CVs and, you, you know, you've done all the psychometric tests before people get to interview stage, when they look, when you look at the studies that look at the interviews and you look at when was the decision made to hire that person, it is almost always within the first 30 seconds of the interview beginning, even though the interview is an hour long. Um, and when you investigate how did people make that decision, because all the people being interviewed, all the, the, the interviewees are all perfectly capable of doing the job. They've got the right qualifications. Mm. What you're finding out is, is this person somebody I get on with as an interviewer? Am I, you know, if if they get on with me, they'll get on with everybody else in the business kind of thing. So um, all you're looking for is, do I get on with this person? And when you say to those people who've made those decisions to hire, but what about this little technical gap in their knowledge their answer is always, it doesn't matter about those technical skills. We can fix them. We can train them. We, yeah. can, you know, we, can, we can give them those skills. What we can't give them is the ability to, to get on with each other. So even though you as a, um, a, a somebody running a workshop or somebody doing consultancy for a, a business, they know you might not be able to do everything for them, but they trust you to know how you might be able to get additional help who else you might know can help them because they get on with you as a person. That's the most important thing to make any you know business service operate uh, well. So I think the Internet is fantastic for doing that because it does allow you to show your personality as a consultant, lawyer, whatever, and get into that real final decision-making of they would like to work with you.
0: I think it's interesting as well that uh, people's preferences as buyers are – I think possibly it's to de-risk the situation. So, for example, as as someone who might hire a lawyer or a consultant, I would much prefer to watch them on video or listen to a podcast they've done to get a sense of who they are first rather than take the risk of meeting them face to face and end up with some terrible person selling because with a podcast I can switch it off after 5 minutes if I don't like the person face to face you're stuck with them in a room for an hour yeah. Um, yeah. and Lord knows what might happen so you know it's it's also a kind of a, a safer environment to buy and find out about people online
1: It is, and it it does, as you say, de-risk that, but it also reduces embarrassment. Uh, I'm sure we've all been in situations where we've arranged a meeting with someone who we think can help us, uh, and after five or ten minutes you're struggling of what to talk about next and what Mm. to say, because you've already made the decision, actually we don't get on, there's no real you know, way of extending this. And really the polite thing to do at that point is say, well, it's been nice meeting you, thanks very much, bye-bye. And But we don't do that because we don't like to be embarrassed, we don't like to upset people, and yet they're thinking exactly the same thing. (laughs) Um, And so there's this kind of cultural, we can't upset people, and so we extend the conversation. We can avoid all of that, which is why we like it online. We can go to YouTube, we can look at a couple of clips of them doing their work i was with a client yesterday uh, who provide some consultancy work as well as a, a, an actual product uh, to the engineering industry uh, and i was saying you know why don't we have videos of you talking to your clients about your product and about you know how to improve what they're making with your your software Um, And they said, but why would anybody be interested in that? And I said, but the other people who might buy your software would love to see the way you react with your clients, the way you do things, because then they'll go, that's exactly the kind of people we want to help us. Um, The product itself is fantastic and stands alone, but it's the service they don't understand. And when they can see the service in action, then they go, aha, that's exactly what we want. So, yeah, videos, podcasts, all those kind of things – Presentations, you know, use SlideShare with presentation with a bit of audio uh, background, you, you know, commentary in the background. All those kind of things can help people get a grasp of: Are you the the person for them with the service uh, that they want?
0: And then going back to right, um, right back to what you said at the start, that helps them get to that ninety nine percent decision online. So that yeah. then, when they do make contact, it's just confirmation.
1: And absolutely.
0: Talking about that, then, if you if you do get your online presence sorted out, so people are making a decision in your favour initially, what what then is the is the, is the right way to to handle it when someone does give you a phone call or drops you an email and, w- and wants to speak to you directly? You mentioned at, at the start that you know the 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 uh, the car place you kind of drop, dropping the ball by not giving good customer service, by ignoring people when they're standing on the lot, trying to sell them stuff they don't want. What, what should it look like for a, for a professional service provider when a
1: client does contact you? Um, the first thing is you've got to know why they've contacted you or where they've contacted you from. So one good thing to use is different telephone numbers from different places so that you know when that number rings and you can have... You know, there are tele, uh, virtual telephone number companies. I I use one. Um, they provide you with a whole load of virtual telephone numbers which all get directed to, you know, your one number. But there's a thing called... Um, I think it's called a whisper service, so that what happens is you your phone rings, you pick it up, and a little announcement tells you which number or which company right. is being called from so and then the phone rings at the other person 's end, and then you 're connected, so you know they have called you from this website, this web page, whatever it is, so you know which web page they have been on when they call you that 's one way of doing it there 's other technical ways of doing it, you know instant chat services, and so on, so that you know what they're looking at when they call. So when they ring, you can answer and say, you know, thanks very much. Nice to speak to you. I understand you want more information about whatever it is, you know, in, during the conversation because you know what they're after. And that's really quite impressive. Then the people, you know, they're already connecting with you because you're talking about what they're interested in. They're interested in, you know, in the case of your builder doing an extension, if uh, you, know, you ring your builder and your builder is talking about all kinds of things, but all you want to talk about is extensions, if the builder immediately talks about extensions, he's on your wavelength immediately. Hmm. So if he knows you're ringing about extensions, he doesn't need to talk to you about building garages or building complete houses or patio laying or whatever else it is that the builder might do. He's only going to talk about extensions because he knows before he's picked up the phone that you only want to talk about extensions because that's the web page you're on.
0: And so, so really, it's about getting on the same wavelength as your buyer very yep. quickly. So you yep. can do that through technology, or if you haven't got yep. the technology, you need to quickly ask and ascertain quickly where they ask,
1: are. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's one way of doing it, but it's less um, less impressive. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I and I guess the, the the next thing is we're talking about it if the traditionally if someone sp- if someone contacts you um, y- and they've found out very little about you then typically you go through this whole process of kind of, you know, diagnosing their problem, um, trying to figure out what, you know, what kind of almost assuming that they, they haven't put much thought into it and it's very early stages and you're diagnosing the issue um, and then you, you're, you're checking for the impact and coming up with some potential solutions for them, et cetera. So it's a whole kind of sales conversation that goes on. But in this case, the chances are they kind of already know what they want. They might not necessarily be right but they've got a very clear picture in their mind of what they want so i guess the the, the conversation you have with them has to be different
1: it does they, they do know what they want and we as consultants or whatever it is might think that they need something different but that's what they want um, and so we need to deliver what they want but along the way we can advise them as to what else they might need that we think is the the, the thing that they do ultimately need but initially we've got to satisfy their particular needs at that time and they have used the internet to drive towards satisfying that particular need so if we go well actually you don't need that what you need is this then they are already kind of distancing themselves from us. So we have to try and satisfy their need. But one way out of that, in order to help each other, is for you to collect information from them in advance. So, for instance, you could have a form on your website which allows them to ask ask you or answer questions or a combination of both and then submit that. And then when they submit that, you say, you know, we will call you within, you know, six hours, two hours, one hour, whatever you want you know, as soon as you submit this form, we will call you um, to discuss, you know, what it is you want. And if you call them immediately, of course, that's very impressive. That might not be practical, but, um, you know, so collect data that allows you to steer the conversation perhaps away from, too specifically, what they want into something that you think will be slightly better or more profitable.
0: And, of course, doing it uh, elegantly rather than arrogantly, I guess, is the (laughs) the strategy.
1: And Um, and if you you use the information that they've provided on on the form, on the website, then, of course, you're feeding back to them the information that they've already given to you, which is the kind of more elegant way of doing it.
0: And, of course, ideally, it's been you through your web presence and everything else you're doing that has helped shape their thinking so um it's not just that they have formed these thoughts about what they want in a vacuum if they first come across your website because they've had a particular problem and your website's provided um you know various different thoughts they've read your blog they've watched you on video or whatever you should have all you, ideally you've been shaping their thinking even though you haven't been there you've been yeah. shaping their thinking so um hopefully it won't be it won't be wrong and you won't have to take them back to center, back to ground yeah.
1: zero and, and it depends um It depends on the customer and what they want and what they're coming to you for. So, for instance, I have on my website specific workshops that people can buy by pressing a button. Um, And so, you know, you can fill in the form, tell me what date you want it, um, and you can buy straight away. Um, And there are a few people who do that and so i know they want that workshop and i have to deliver that workshop even though when i get there and deliver that workshop i realize that actually they needed a different workshop to the one they've bought um now that's up to me then to think about upselling them to a second workshop in a future or you know halfway through the workshop when i realize that it's not quite working maybe i'll have to bring in some aspects of another workshop whereas other people who don't want a specific workshop. They just want me to come to their business and help them improve the way they use the internet. Um, And so, they won't fill in that box. They'll go to the, can you please give me a call about workshops you do? And then, so, because I... My website has got you know and it steers people in particular directions when they contact me. I know where to begin the conversation because I know they 've either booked that specific workshop or they 're just wanting a workshop in general, and then I can steer them to uh, a workshop based on the conversation I have with them
0: mm. and, and and I guess you 're also then giving the client credit for intelligence uh, as well and I think, I think there is a you 'll see it and I know we we both kind of seen it, kind of reflected in Facebook conversations or or professionals being grumpy behind the scenes about how a, you know an idiot client has asked the wrong questions at the wrong time. And <laughs> but but the truth is, clients, you've got to give clients credit, and you you they've been doing the research. They may not have got it right, but it but it's not like it was five years ago when they when they had very little information to go on. Most of the times they'll have done their homework.
1: Yes, and they'll have done a lot more homework than. We sometimes think they've done um, because it's quick and easy to do. Um, And they can even delegate that homework, as it were, to other members of staff and come up with, you know, ask two or three people, you know, can you search for. You know, a lawyer who does this or an accountant who can do that. They'll ask for recommendations on LinkedIn, you know, any advice. they go onto Facebook, does anybody know of. They'll ask the question on Twitter. Um, you know, it doesn't take long to ask those questions, and before you know it, you've got a list of suggestions as to who you might approach. And then what you're going to do is look for commonality amongst those suggestions, and there may be two or three names in there. And then you're going to investigate their websites and then make the decision. So there's an awful lot of research that can be done very quickly in advance uh, using the Internet. And so all people are doing that research. They're making a decision in advance of contacting you.
0: And how, how do you see those sort of trends continuing, Graham? What, what do you think the future for buying and selling services is perhaps going to look like in a few years' time, maybe three, even five years out?
1: Yeah, but sometimes it's difficult to predict because, you know, three years before Facebook came along, nobody ever this even is true. knew that the Facebook was going to be there. Yeah. And even when Facebook was three years old, um, it was still only available in the Ivy League universities. Um, and so nobody had any idea that it would then become a major business to um, consumer um, tool that is now used by brands worldwide. You know, there wasn't, I don't think even Facebook themselves envisaged that. So sometimes predicting what's going to happen on the internet pickle to do. What I can do is talk about some of the research studies that show us the trends and the way people are thinking. And I think of two particular studies here. One was looking at business to business purchasing and it showed that those people who are buying things from other businesses, 81% of those people want uh, to be able to buy services from other businesses using a buy now button already 8 out of 10 people would prefer to do it that way and that means that uh, they, that, you know, that trend is only going to continue but people want to be able to buy like and when the other study was looking at procurement people in local government so people who are buying services for, you know, your local council, mm. 53% of them said they wanted to be able to buy services for schools and hospitals and, you know, other local government things. They wanted to buy those services using Buy Now buttons. So you know, if you're buying, you know, decorating for your local school, you want to be able to just press a button that says, you know, I want to buy, you know, the, the hall decorated, um, and, you know, I want to buy it now. Um, Cost and give a quote and so on, The people they want to be able to buy now. So, the trend certainly you know that already the majority of people in procurement and business to business buying want to buy in the, the familiar ways, the things that we were saying at the beginning. I can only see that trend continuing and getting bigger. Um, we wouldn't expect now a business to commerce website not to have a buy now button. Mm. A few years ago, you know, 10 years ago, many didn't. Many would allow you to fill in a form and often they would then fax that to their um, distribution network who would then send it out to you. Um, and so you know, ten years ago there weren't, you know, buy now buttons were not as common on business to commerce, uh, you know, B2C, uh, business to consumer websites were not as common as they are now. Now we expect them everywhere the same trend is happening in business to business so I think in the future we're going to expect that, we're going to expect much clearer pricing, we're going to expect uh, things to work much more quickly which means you know if I'm where the nearest lawyer is and can they get to me in the next hour kind of thing so I can press a button and order a lawyer those kind of things are going to happen um, it's just a matter of whether it's three years or five years or yeah. one year.
0: And, and whether service providers kind of wince at the, the thought of that Thinking, well you can't possibly how could you ever get the right lawyer etc etc but i think the truth is that more and more people are seeing um, services as they're, they're unbundling i guess so rather than it's a service it can't possibly be a commodity they're realizing that a lot of services they buy are more like commodities in the sense of you can specify what you want and you can find qualified people to deliver it without having to go through it you know huge long process and then you reserve the, the slot at the top
1: for the for the very tailored stuff that does require yeah. that that's right most services are fairly standard hmm. yeah you know, although many people in professional services like to think they tailor their their work Actually, when you talk to most people, most of it isn't tailored. Uh, You know, you think about house conveyancing, it's all done on forms. And I'm sure every lawyer would like to tell us all they really do is kind of specified stuff and it's really complicated and so on. Actually, it's, you know, and will writing, both of those have been commoditized out of of, uh, law firms. Um, and you can get them in your local supermarket mm. um, I remember years ago being told that we couldn't possibly have professional services in supermarkets like opticians or pharmacies uh, every uh, major big supermarket now has an optician and a pharmacy in it uh, there's a law firm in my local um, news agents um, you know in town they sit there every day talking about law um, you know so saying that we can't offer services in convenient ways is kind of to be a bit canute like it is and it's not and it's
0: not that there, there's still aren't exceptions so for example if you were richard branson and you wanted your will written you'd probably need someone to delve into the complexities of your business etc and it would be really complex but for 80% of people it's not it's just not that complex and yeah. by by unbundling it by segmenting it it's um it's certainly possible to do that a bit like on your website how they have the standard workshops that you'll deliver and the and the tailored ones um, of course you know that's always been the case that, that you know people who delivered workshops have always had a standard a series of standard workshops yeah. that they deliver that they did tweak and uh, and and then there was the one off tailored ones but, uh, but it's just we're making it easier for people to access that rather than having some incredible mystique about it.
1: That's That right. somehow
0: you had to spend uh, half a day with them um, f- talking through exactly what they needed just to end up with the conclusion
1: that it was workshop three or five. <laughs> Quite, yeah. And, it, and that, of course, makes it more profitable. So if you are a law firm who offers will writing and conveyancing, there's no reason why you can't create a website that it provides you know, the commoditized will writing service for you know, 80% of people. Um, and they fill in the form and then when they've got really complicated things that they need to deal with, um, you know, like children or whatever it is that they, they might need to consider, um, part of that would be, you know, the this is complex, you might want to consider this kind of service and that diverts them to your other website with your know, conveyancing you know, can you do your conveyancing for you know 500 quid on this kind of website which just goes through the normal stuff but then complicated conveyancing you come to the main solicitor's website there's no reason why as a, um, a trainer you can't have to provide providing training courses have a website that just is half day for a thousand pounds that's it if you want something tailored, then go to this website.
0: Mm. So uh, by by kind of unbundling everything, you may yeah. you, you're getting a lower price at the at the standard end, but of course it means you can also offer a, you know focus on getting a higher price and bigger profit at the at the more tailored end as well. That's right, but you also make more profit
1: out of the the unbundled end, the commoditized end, because, because you're
0: not investing all that time and effort into the tailoring that is not really Absolutely. needed.
1: Absolutely, yeah, mm. quite
0: excellent. Hey, Grim, thank you very very much for that. That's okay. Um, Final question for you, if uh, if people want to find out more about uh, what you do, some more of this advice um, and more of your insights into this area, where should they go?
1: They should go to grahamjones.co.uk
0: Brilliant, and they'll uh, be able to get everything they want there. Excellent. Thank you very much again, Graham. much appreciated. Speak to you again soon. Okay.